Once again, I'm taking this small object through airport security, and I'm wondering whether any of the machines will pick it up. Probably not. Though the contents are described as more durable than bronze, and in terms of half-life rival any radioactive isotope, they don't set off any contemporary alarms. Our systems are geared towards mobile phones and computers, shoe bombs and booby-trapped undergarments. My object is made of metaphorical metal, and its power and capacity cannot be measured in volts or gigabytes. This thing is red in color and measures a little over six inches by four inches by one inch. It is, in fact, a book, an old Loeb Library edition that contains a hundred and twenty poems written two thousand years ago by the Roman poet Horace. One hundred and three of those poems are arranged in four books of odes. Horace actually used the word carmina, meaning songs, the work of which the poet was proudest, and which he thought would guarantee his immortality. Placing this small, battered book on my airport café table, looking out over tarmac-covered runways, some woods beyond them, a gray English morning sky, makes me feel more moored and anchored in a place whose very essence is hypermobility. Moored to what? To myself, to some depth of feeling in myself. Reading this particular poem, the thirtieth and last of Book Three, in which Horace prophesies that his odes will outlast the pyramids, is affecting me so much that I am afraid I may start weeping, or generally betray the kind of emotion you are not supposed to show in airport cafes. Horace is making a pretty outrageous claim. He is saying that these poems are time-proof, proof against floods and hurricanes, or just the drip-drip of steady rain and the passing of the uncounted days, weeks, months, the unnumbered series of years and the flight of time. The extraordinary thing is that he was right. He wrote his poems into the future, for the future as much as for the present, and they remain always contemporary. The scholars who try to nail Horace and other ancients who still speak to us down to the past have got something fundamentally wrong. Not all of me will die. Part of me will escape the goddess of death. Maybe that's what's affecting me. Something to counter the fear of death that attends all airports, all flights into the unknown. I'm only flying to Turin, as it happens, but this is the place of departures, and sometime soon they'll call my flight. My number will come. The mobile phone rings. It's my partner wishing me a safe flight, reminding me to drink enough water. She's right. I need water, but not water alone. I also need Horace, who said no poetry worth reading was written by drinkers of water. Just for a moment I weigh the sleek metal coolness of the phone against the warmer, frayed old book. In terms of apparent power, attractiveness, usefulness, surely the gleaming gizmo wins out. Not that it's a new phone or a smartphone, any self-respecting teenager would regard it as an antique. I wonder which will have the longer future. I am reminded of a phrase from a newspaper article I recently added to my cuttings file in which the historian Timothy Garton Ash criticized the thoughtless stereotyping of Poles as anti-Semitic. He went on to characterize the language of today's party politics as consisting of 
prefabricated phrases and glib half-truths. Such phrases and half-truths cannot be expected to last long. They are not made of the right, durable stuff, for a start. Their foundations are not deep. They don't bear any profound relation to reality or true emotion. When a big storm or disaster strikes, they fall apart, smashed to useless tinder.